me say the power of God's presence moved in our midst so greatly last week I never got a proper opportunity to thank everyone for your wonderful acts of love and kind expressions that were shown to me and my wife in celebrating 20 years of pastoral ministry here at Harvest Church. Let me say again, I appreciate you with all my heart. Amen. Thank you so much for making that day such a memorable day for us. If, if, if I've echoed anything in my tenure here at Harvest Church is that we don't operate on our timetable and we're not operating within the boundaries that we have set as human beings, but we operate on God's time. We operate, amen, along with Him and His speaking into our hearts. So I started just a few weeks ago on, on, on a subject of discipleship, discipleship. And I, I want to I pick up right where I left off there. After we establish what a, a disciple is in that service, I want to tell us some more hats uh, that a disciple wears. Some of you were not here in that service. and Could you just do something for me? Could you just welcome all of our special guests who are present today with us here at Harvest? Without a doubt, you, have, you could have gone anywhere else today, but thank God that you followed uh, God's prompting and you came to this house to worship Him. For that, we are honored. So I want to talk a little bit more about discipleship today one verse one verse in your presence if you'll stand with me as we look to the word of the Lord together one verse found in Paul's writing to the church at Corinth ancient Greece the church at Corinth 1st Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse number 1 amen still hear pages turning I love that I love for folk to have a tangible copy of the Lord's word and we encourage you to follow along. I'll be ministering today from the, from the new King James Version, but I love uh, the King James translation on this passage. The new King James will read just slightly different, but I love what Paul says here in the King James translation when he declares uh, or exhorts the body of believers, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. The New King James would read as states, Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Brother Anthony, would you ask God's blessing over the red word? Amen. For a moment, I thought he might preach. Praise the Lord. Amen. He was excited in the Lord. Thank God. Amen. For devout men of God who 
dedicate their lives to the service of the Lord. We established uh, just a few short weeks ago what a disciple was. In short, they're a student or, or, or a pupil. They're, they're one who accepts and assists in the spreadings of the doctrines of another. So I'm not going to catch anybody um, by surprise today if I would ask who the disciple of Jesus in this place would I? I won't catch anybody by surprise. So if we're a Christian, are we all disciples of Jesus Christ? Amen. I love Dr. Tony Evans' definition of the word discipleship. It says it's a developmental process that progressively brings Christians from spiritual infancy or babies to spiritual maturity. Not only bringing them from one place to another, but for a specific purpose. What purpose is that? So that they then are able to reproduce the process within someone else. I said in that last service that I heard a local preacher say that all Christians go to heaven. But disciples bring others along. Is that a fact? It should be the goal of every born-again believer Amen. To bring others along. So who here today is a disciple of Jesus? I got, I got two people. Really? Every believer. Every person who's had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And through confession and repentance has accepted him as the Lord of their life. They are a disciple, a student of Jesus Christ. And, and the great sending in, in the last chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus tells his followers to do what? To go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. So that's the mission of the church. But before we can even understand all that, we've got to understand who Jesus is. Even the enemy knows who Jesus is. We know who Jesus is. It's the Greek word Yeshua. From that word, we get the word Joshua in the Old Testament. And it simply means Yah saves or Jehovah saves. It's a blessing to know, praise God, that now he lives in us. Let's look at John 1.14. Jesus now lives in us. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. So as believers now the presence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit live in us. Isn't it a blessing to know that in the Old Testament a dwelling, a tabernacle and glory. They all refer to God taking up residence in a structure or, or in a temple. But here's the blessing saints of God. He now lives in us. Hallelujah. We stated in that last service that our bodies are the temple of the Lord. Temple meaning the place where God dwelled. That's why in the Old Testament scriptures that the Lord desired that the children of Israel would erect a tent or tabernacle, a place of meeting. What's the single greatest reason? So, so he could reveal the artistry and the craftsmanship of all the tribes. Was that the reason? No, that wasn't the reason. The reason was so that God would have a place to dwell among his people. You know we're highly favored of all the earth. Anybody grasp that? 
Anybody grasp that? We're highly favored of all the earth that God in the form of his son Jesus Christ would take up residence inside of us. So every Christian believer is a disciple of Christ. And then what do we do? We offer our own imitation. That don't even sound right, does it? Because we think of the word imitation, what do we think about? A copy of something original. Then what's the next word that comes to our mind? A counterfeit. Brother D said, a counterfeit. But what is Paul encouraging us to do? Paul is encouraging us to imitate or copy uh, him as his life copied that of Christ. Now, that's not bad, is it? That's a great thing. That's a great thing. Gypsy Smith said that, that, that there are five Gospels and most people are only going to read four. They'll never read four. So what Gospel are they going to read? Christian. You and I. And they're illiterate as they is long. They can still read people. Hello? They can still read the lives, the character, the traits of individuals. And if we say that we belong to Jesus and Jesus lives in us, it ought to be as plain as the nose on our face. Can I get one witness? We won't have to rent a billboard and walk around with a sign on our back saying, I'm a Christian. Because folks will know it when they step into our presence. But I want to take a moment today just to show us that the four gospel accounts give us a definitive portrait of Jesus' life here on the earth. And in specific, it's the gospel of John that shows us at least three complementary perspectives or, 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 or views, if I could, on what it means to follow Jesus with Christ himself serving as the pattern. Now, if we want to we follow somebody, Christ would be a good one to follow. Hallelujah. Other influences in the scripture were great, and God used them mightily. But the word Christian derives from Christ, meaning like Christ. They were first called Christians in the book of Acts in a particular location known as Antioch. Everybody with me? But Jesus came into a religious-filled world at the time to introduce to us God's plan of salvation through his sacrificial death through which men could be reconciled to God and become heirs and joint heirs along with Christ himself. So does Jesus live in us today? Absolutely. We are a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, the first perspective that the scriptures share with us in regards to the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ is that he is a worshiper. That's right. A disciple of Christ is a worshiper. We're a student of Christ. Uh, amen. We accept and assist in the spreading of his doctrine. Then we're going to embrace worship. Somebody like, Pastor, I, you know. I mean, I know you've been through this thing, but can you help me out a little bit? Yeah, worship comes from the Anglo-Saxon word, worth-ship. It actually means that when we adore God and when we glorify Him through acts of worship, we actually add to His value. We add to His worth. Amen? And do you know that God knows, Brother Marty, when we, when, when, when we exclaim uh, his character, when we, when, we, when we sing his praises, God knows if it's lip service or if it's heart service. That he knows the difference if we've been encouraged and exhorting to worship. If we're just standing because we don't want the pastor to look down on us, he knows it. 
But where should worship begin? Should you wait to get to church to worship? Thank you, Jesus. And then when we get here, what does the Bible encourage us to do? The Bible encourages us when we get here to enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. You see, we've got to understand that the act of worship glorifies and adores God. It adds worth to what He is already valued as. Can somebody help me? Amen. I want to tell you that worship is not meeting in church to sing hymns and or praise songs. That's not worship. That's what we've called it. But that's not worship. No, worship is not just a corporate act. Hello? If you got to wait till you get to church to worship with a bunch of dead saints, you're in trouble. Brother Con, when I started preaching, I told my pastor, I said, man, I labor and labor and feel like I've accomplished nothing. I look at you and I don't even perspire. He said, you just wait. He said, you just be patient because you're going to preach in some dead churches. And when you preach in some dead churches and you can't get an amen or a oh me or a hallelujah or a glory to God, you'll learn to sweat. That's what my pastor said. But you see, that's because we are feeling driven and because we look at things like that as a barometer, if you would, and or a gauge on whether people are responding. I want to tell you that I thank God for these band of musicians we have. I thank God for the dedicated members of the praise team here at Harvest Church. But I don't need glory to God or nobody strumming on no instrument for me to praise Him. I don't need somebody to hymn, amen, an old song. I don't need anybody to grab one of these new praise and worship songs and begin to drive it home in the presence of God. All I need to do to worship him is remember where he brought me from. All I got to do is have a flashback. All I got to do is remember where I was when the Lord found me. I said a disciple of Jesus is a worshiper. You ought to shock somebody this morning and give him praise. Worship's not just a corporate act. Worship's an individual act. I told somebody when God blessed us to build a house, I said, I can't live in the city. I I violate the noise ordinance. Somebody's like, what? Man, I sing when I cut grass. Over the hum of that 15-horsepower little Kohler motor on that John Deere I got, I sing praises unto God. You think I give five cents what the neighbors say? Oh, glory to God. It ain't the neighbor that reached way down and rescued me. It wasn't the neighbor when I was in a distressing situation that extended the long arm of love. But it was God, hallelujah. And that's the reason why it becomes easy for me to give him praise, to worship him. It becomes easy. It ought to be the second nature of a saint of God to worship the Lord. Hello? All believers are called to worship. Oh, Lord, if you want, listen, I don't know a better way to say this, but if you want something to make you sick on the stomach, nauseated. Preacher, don't say that word. What? That V word? Don't say that V word. It's just not right. You know, we don't call snot snot anymore. We call it mucus. Don't. 
For God's sake, say regurgitate or throw up, but don't say vomit. Too late. It's already out there. I can't reel it back in. You want to know something that nauseates God? Something that makes God sick to his stomach? When he reflects on all the great things we've done for him and our reluctancy to give him praise. That's the reason the Bible said the rocks and the mountains would cry out in our place. But God's going to get him some glory. Can somebody raise your hand, amen, and say amen to the glory of God? I said, God is going to get him some glory if he has to birth words out of a rock on a hillside somewhere. Oh, we'll say that in the company of the people of God. Well, I'm not going to let a rock cry out in my place. Oh, listen to me, friend. When life is pressing down on you, it's a good time to praise him. When you feel an anxiety attack, are coming on. It's a good time to praise him. When somebody called and said your family member is in the hospital, it's a good time to give God praise. Somebody said, Pastor, I can't wrap my mind around that. I don't know what you're talking about. I understand what David said. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Psalm 34.1. You can't wait till you get the trial to determine you want to be a part of it. You can't get to the lion's den and determine that God's going to see you through. You can't get to the mouth of a fiery furnace and make a decision. You got to have a mind made up before you get there. Y'all won't help me. Y'all won't help me. I'll help myself. Let's look at Hebrews 13, 15. Hebrews 13 and 15. This is talking to the saint of God. You and I, the disciple of Jesus Christ, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God just a few hours a day. From 6 in the morning to 6 in the evening. Let's offer praise to God. I got to sleep sometime. He said let us do what? Offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to his name. Let me get back to those things that make God sick. Well, I don't worship like you. There ain't but one way to worship. And that's in the spirit and in the truth. If you're trying to worship and praise God outside of that, no wonder you don't get it. There's only one way to worship God, Brother Mike, in the spirit and in the truth. Did we not say several weeks ago, the spirit is that what? It's the immaterial part of us that lives forever. We get these two mixed up because we say we feel something in the spirit. No, we feel a spirit or the spirit. But the truth of the matter is, it's the spirit part of us that houses our intellect, that houses our wills. Come on, saints of God. You have, this isn't new news. You've heard this before. So if I'm going to worship him in the spirit, what does that mean? It means that intellectually, with my mind, I accept the reality that he is who the word says he is. Are y'all getting that? I don't have to feel it to do it. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Some of y'all ain't going to dance no how until you think you're back in the club in the late 80s and early 90s. Some of y'all ain't going to dance no how. My baby told me I couldn't dance a lick unless I was in the spirit, and that's all right. That's all right because I never participated in that lifestyle. You follow me? But the Bible says God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
Can I bless you? Truth is not just a word. Truth is a person. And his name is Jesus. You missed a good place to shout. Amen. I'm going to worship him in the spirit and in the truth. Thank God today that we're not exhorted to offer up animal sacrifices. Anybody glad? Some of y'all can't cut up a chicken. Why y'all laughing at me for? That's why you buy them cut up in the grocery store. I wouldn't want any of you doing surgery on me. I've seen some of you, you can't peel potatoes. I watched you. I mean, Sister Betty, can I peel a potato? She said, I'll tell you one thing. I won't say nothing else about my pastor's son. He can skin a tater. You follow me? Don't perform no surgical process on me. If God called us today to animal sacrifices, oh my God, what a fine mess we could make. No wonder God said, I'm going to make it simple for you, Brother Hunt. God said, here is, here, here is how I want you to offer up a sacrifice. I want you to do it in praise and in worship with the fruit of your lips while giving thanks to God. Hallelujah, saints of God. Is anybody grasping? Aren't you grateful today that you didn't have to come in here with a butcher's smock on with an apron? Hallelujah to God. Y'all don't remember hog killing you too young. But I remember, praise the Lord, some of y'all couldn't even bear a slice in that pig's throat. But thank God he didn't call us to animals sacrifices but sacrifices of praise to God continually which is the fruit of our lips some of you sitting in the pew right now say I worship pastor when you say when you say worship I get up you get up and do this number right here come on let's give the Lord praise We want to glorify God. The Bible said it's with the fruit of your lips. No way you can do it without verbalizing it. Somebody on this side ought to say hallelujah. No, no way you can do it without verbalizing it. You can't do it with laryngitis. Can I get an amen? amen. So the first trait that John uh, glory to God, sheds light on us as a disciple of Jesus Christ is that we are a worshiper. We're a worshiper. You went to them rock concerts. You was three sheets in the wind. You didn't have no problem then. Preach, pastor. Yeah, don't you go to rock. Yeah, may praise the Lord. I rock and roll. My name is on the roll and I rock for Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, somebody. Pastor, what are you talking about? David said in Psalm 34 and 1, I bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be, there's that word again, continually in my mouth. There's that word again. You see, this is easy to do during times of prosperity. It's easy to do when everything is going right. But you know when we ought to worship God, when we ought to praise Him, when we're afraid we ought to praise. What was David saying here? If you remember the context of that scripture, what's going on in David's life? He at that moment is in the darkness of adversity. That's right. People trying to kill him. 
And he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. He's saying this real silent now so his enemies won't hear. No, he's not. He's not. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Well, preacher, could you offer us some advice? When I'm afraid, I ought to worship. When I'm filled with panic, I ought to worship. When I'm having glory to God, all these kinds of attacks, glory to God, it would be a great time for me to break forth in worship and praise unto God. Life's frustrations press us. It's time to worship. Preacher, I can't make no sense out of that any more than I can to count it all a joy when I fall into diverse temptations. No wonder you're not blessed. No wonder. Count it all joy when I fall into diverse temptation. Yeah, that you've been counted worthy to endure the hardship. Isn't that right? Hallelujah, preacher. Glory to God. You see, praise and worship are responses for not only who God is, but they also encompass everything the Lord's done. We ought to came in here this morning. They hadn't, shouldn't have had to strike up one chord on a musical instrument. After what God just spared us through, Brother Anthony said, Lord, we call on you when the storm's coming. But how, 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 how much have we called on you that the storm has passed? Thank God for that prayer, brother. Amen. Because what, what, what did I do? Not only did I thank God that we didn't suffer loss or injury. Thank God that there was no damage to our property. But walking out the next morning and surveying, glory to God, that, that, that little piece of property that God gave us. I just looked into heavens and said, Lord, I just want to give you praise. I want to thank you that your hand has stayed the arm slot the attack of the enemy and Lord not only did I not suffer any loss my lights didn't get cut off yeah 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 Lord I went and had 25 gallons of fuel reserved for my generator but I never had to crank it up none of my food went bad in the fridge I just want to give you, I didn't have to fire up a gas grill because I had no electricity. You don't think I'm going to worship you. You don't think I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to give the Lord praise. We should have came in here this morning, everybody flowing in the spirit of praise and worship over all that God has done because we've been spared. By God himself. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. Help me, somebody. The truth of the matter is we act like a bunch of hypocrites. I'm going to keep it real. Amen. You say, preacher, hold on now. Don't call. Wait, wait, hold. That's, that, that's a little abrasive right there. Well, we claim to have moral standards, but amen, after something like this happened, we claim to be in right standing with God. We claim to be worshipers. But after something like this happened, all of us come in here deflated like we done wore out. Hello? It's the truth. Amen or oh me. Say, preacher, I don't understand that. What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is an outward expression without an inward attitude. That's what hypocrisy is. Somebody said, I thought that was saying one thing and being another. Well, it is. It is. That's hypocrisy. You don't think God knows the difference? You don't think God knows from authentic, genuine, heartfelt worship than lip service? Hello? 
And when we're exhorted to worship God, we, I mean, we do it just so we'll kind of blend in. You know, pastor won't get on us too much. The Bible says, wherefore by his spirit he hath quickened us. You know what that means? Made us alive. It's the Spirit of God that lives in us that gives us life. Praise the Lord. I must be doing something right. I can be blessed off my own preaching. Hallelujah. That's the first visible trait of a disciple of Jesus Christ. That he is a worshiper. He's a worshiper. Got to move on. Second trait of a disciple of Jesus Christ is that he is a servant. He's a servant. What, what, what is a servant? Well, usually as a, ser a servant's a person who's employed by someone else for the purpose of performing domestic duties or household duties. I want to thank God for the men, the women, here at Harvest Church. Because in the 20 years that God has blessed me to lead this congregation, we have always had a group of volunteers who take on monthly duties of making this house presentable, keeping it clean. Recently, we launched a, we launched a new agenda for the men to form teams and, and assist Brother Ted and Sister Betty in the, in the, in the grounds keep him. And guys, y'all are doing one dynamite job. Amen. I want to thank you. That's part of being a servant. You need to write this down if you don't write anything else I said today. You need to write this down. Because I know the mindset of somebody in this room already has wandered off the beaten path. And some of you are already thinking along the lines of slavery. Some of you are already thinking, I'm not, I'm not going to be a slave to the church. Several years ago, I walked in this facility on a Sunday morning. There were folk already here. People were already assembled in the sanctuary. And I walked in and a person said to me, you better pick up that piece of paper right there. That's your job. I said, excuse me? I didn't even see the paper. I had my head held high and was greeting everybody that was already assembled in the sanctuary. And that person said, you need to stop and pick up that piece of paper now. That's your job. You know how sometimes things can just rub you wrong? Well, that kind of rubbed me wrong. And when it rubbed me wrong, I said, the devil is a lie. The Bible said, what your hands find to do, you need to do it. Was I wrong? And then you can probably imagine what my next response was. If it was a $100 bill, you wouldn't have walked over it. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. If I threw a $100 bill in the middle of that floor, some of y'all would hurt your neighbor trying to get to it. Just, just tell the truth. Come on now, let's love Jesus in here. Come on. Let's keep it real now. A hundred, Pastor, you threw a hundred dollar bill and I'm fixing to show you how fast I am. 
That sister said, that sister said, you know it's your job to pick up that paper. I'm like my former pastor in the barber shop when the man said, I've just formed the opinion there is no God. You know, sometimes you just can't be quiet to save your life. My pastor said, I'd heard that man enough now. And I felt something start getting big right here in my neck. You know, Pastor Clark, he was here just a few weeks ago. Said the man said, I've determined we've arrived at where we are on our own merit. And there ain't no God. And the preacher said, I know your name. I read it just the other day in the Bible. Man said, you don't know me. I'm not from here. I was originally. I moved away. And here's the problem. You moved away. And you forgot the values instilled in you as a human being. And you achieved some success. And now you've determined you don't need God and there is no God. Preacher said, oh yeah, I saw your name in the Bible the other day in Psalm 14 and 1. Preacher said, the man said, well, what's my name? The pastor said, you are a fool. (laughs) Psalm 14 and 1 said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Some of y'all already venturing on out there into that slave. I ain't going to be a slave for nobody. I'm not going to. Well, don't invite me to your nasty house. If you can't keep God's house, don't invite me to your nasty house. I'm not eating nothing in your house. Y'all looking at me real strange now. Come on, y'all. It's the truth. I don't, I'm not talking about a slave. I'm talking about a servant. There is a difference. Everybody with me? I said there's a difference between a servant and a slave. You're writing this down? Well, Pastor, I'm dying to know what it is. Every slave is a servant. Every slave. But not every servant is a slave. What? You see, a servant subjecting to his master is voluntary. But a slave don't have a choice. Is that okay? So we are not slaves, but we are servants. We are one who has been employed by God to perform special duties. Am I right, saints of God? Don't get the locked jaw on me now. Don't get quiet. Because some of you haven't volunteered to clean the church since you've been here. Amen. Praise the Lord. And it's okay. I want you to know it's okay. I'm not throwing stones at you. I'm not, you're just selling yourself short of your reward. That's all. Well, I love to cut grass, preacher. I just love to cut mine. That's okay. That's okay. God's going to always have somebody. That's deep now. That's deep right there. I know that it's deep, but we need to let that settle in our hearts. Let it settle in our hearts. For number one, a servant doesn't do the things he does to receive recognition. Mm -mm. He does it because he's voluntarily subject to his master. Anybody disciple of Jesus Christ in this building today? Are we voluntarily subject to him who is our master? Hallelujah! I came across this quote from a self-disciplined strategist who is also a best-selling author. His name is Rory Vaden. V-A-D-E-N. Rory Vaden. And here's what he says. If serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. 
oh boy. Country Wayne said, let that sizzle in your spirit. Yeah. If serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. Oh, yeah. The Lord told me nobody wouldn't be shouting right here. This is okay. Matthew 23, 11. Let's glean from the word of the Lord together. Matthew 23, 11. Is this Jesus? This, is this writing in red? Is this Jesus? Jesus said, He that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Did the disciples themselves struggle for preeminence? Didn't they? Didn't even the group of people on the planet earth that were closest to Jesus Christ wonder who was going to rank higher than the other? Does it happen today? Where at? Where? Workplace? How about church? You better believe it. It happens. <laughs> it happens in church. Oh, my God. If serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. Jesus, in the context of Matthew 23 and 11, he does what? He challenges the norms of society. Because society would beg to differ on that, would they not? They would. Society would say, oh, no, your contribution's been greater. Absolutely, yeah. You're greater, yeah. Without a doubt. But let me tell you where greatness originates in Jesus. In acts of service. What about that woman who had that alabaster box? Was that pricey? Was that costly? And what did she do? She dumped it on Jesus' feet and washed them. Dried. His feet with her hair. Is that an act of service? Is that how Jesus measures greatness? Oh God, yes. We'd better believe that's how Jesus measures greatness. Greatness originates with Christ Jesus in acts of service. Let me help you. Let me give you some nuggets here. If I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, I've got to put my master above those who are nearest and dearest to me. Luke 14, 26. Luke 14 and 26. If any man come to me, hating, that's a strong word in it. And hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, and sisters, and even his own life also, he cannot be. My disciple. Pastor, why is that word so strong? Well, King James didn't have a better word to put there at that time. What does the new King James in that translation say? Anybody know? Anybody have it? Anybody have Luke 14, 26 in the new King James? That hate word is so strong. We, we, we don't think of Jesus using words like that, do we? Hate? Oh, 
has ha- that has such strong overtones, doesn't it? But it says the same thing in the New King James. If you don't hate those, but hate, understand, but hate during Jesus' day didn't involve the feelings that we associate it with today. Am I right? Help me, somebody. To hate something in Jesus' day meant that you put it in a lower position or a lower place than something else. So what was Jesus saying? He's not exhorting his followers to hate their families. Jesus is just encouraging his followers to put him above your family. So please don't take that out of context. Don't don't, don't take that wrong. I I wanted to make sure that I cleared that up. What, What does it mean? It means that our love for Christ should take precedence over everything else in our lives. Got to move on. Second nugget is that a disciple of Jesus values following Jesus Christ above even life itself. Wow. Now that takes some commitment, doesn't it? What do you mean? It demands a devotion that surpasses even the very instincts to preserve our own lives. What did Paul say to the Philippian believers? For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Did it sound like he valued his relationship with Christ above his own life? Because he did. Because he did. That's why when his appointment came, he said in 2 Timothy 4, I am now ready. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, Shall give to me on that day, but not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. Is that how Paul can say that? You better believe it is. Because Paul valued his own life as nothing so that he could serve Jesus. Let's look at Matthew 16, 24. This is what it tells us. Now, this this is where we get this all twisted up. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, Neighbor, Jesus' cross is not your cross. And your cross is not Jesus' cross. What did Jesus say? Who was he saying this to? He said his disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Hello, Harvest. Are you a disciple of Jesus? We certainly are. So is Jesus saying this to us today? He most definitely is. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up whose cross? Can I bear Jesus' cross? Can you? So whose cross am I to bear? And how often? I want to surprise you. 
daily. Daily. Amen, Brother Khan said, and continually. Amen. I said this is the trait of a worshiper of Jesus Christ, that he is a servant. What's Jesus saying here? His disciples were familiar with crucifixion. You didn't think they knew what a cross was? I'm sure they knew what a cross was. Was it physically meaning that all of us have to take up a wooden structure and carry it around every day? No. No. But what does it mean? It means we're to take on the sufferings that are associated with bearing a cross. The burden, the weight thereof, the excruciating pain and humiliation of crucifixion as a follower of Jesus Christ. i got to move on. Thirdly, a disciple must place his commitment to Christ above material possessions. Let's look at Luke 14, 33. Above material possessions. This is Jesus speaking. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath. Jesus said, he cannot be my disciple. That's material possessions. Anybody got anything we couldn't forfeit for Jesus? If we got anything we couldn't forfeit for Jesus, we cannot be Jesus' follower. I don't know a better way to put it, saints. That's the Bible. That's the Word of God. But he's not implying that we sell or we give them away, but that we steward those resources. Did I say in Bible study Wednesday night that prosperity meant what? Being prosperous meant what? Being able to meet the demands of your own life and bless somebody else. The opportunity presents itself. Right? Do you believe that's what prosperity is? Who's prosperous in here today? We're prosperous in here today. We've been blessed by God. We can take care of our own obligations. And the Lord speak to our heart. We can bless somebody else. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isn't that a blessing? Don't go, don't go sell and give your stuff away now. God just wants you to steward it. Who's a steward? A steward is one who manages the property of another. Right? So if we're going to steward the resources God gave us, they don't belong to us. That's a whole other sermon. They actually belong to God, and we're just doing what? We're managing them. Somebody told me about a series on Netflix. And it's called The Kindness Diaries. And they were just explaining to me that this guy was like filthy rich. But he's driving around all over the place in an old beat up Volkswagen Beetle. And he would just run up with anybody. And out of the blue he would say, can I spend the night with you? And it'd blow your mind to know the people that say, yeah, come on in. We don't have much. We don't have much, but everything we have, we'll make available to you. And this guy is on this mission to accept no cash from anybody. You follow me? And then after they've done this kind deed to him, guess what? He blesses them. 
He ran across a group of people that just sacrificed everything they were for everybody else. And the woman just breaks down and cries and says, I would just love to do more. Guess what happens? Some major distributor catches wind of it. And they send that family $500,000 to say, give away. Just, just bless people and give it away in whatever way you see fit. <laughs> Man, I don't, know how you, I don't know how you'd receive that. Follow me? But then guess what happened after that? The guy riding around in the beat up VW, he gives them 500000 and says, now this is for you. Oh, my Lord. Some of y'all would become instant track stars. Catch me if you can. That's the heart of a servant. Got to move on. That's the heart of a servant. Heart of a servant. Fourthly, a disciple dies daily to self-interest. Is that what Jesus did? Our cross must be taken up daily. That involves the daily putting to death of our selfish desires and ambitions the old lower nature of our former self daily. Musicians are coming. This happens daily. So altogether, what do we conclude? Discipleship puts Jesus above everything and everyone. Amen. Discipleship puts Jesus above everything and everyone in my in my closing thirdly a disciple of Jesus Christ is a witness he's a worshiper a servant and a witness okay those are complementary traits that a disciple of Jesus possesses well, what's a witness? He's one who testifies in a cause. Or he's one who has personal knowledge of something. Have I any witnesses here today? Hallelujah. Let's look at Acts 26, 16. Acts 26 and verse 16. This is Paul. He's before the hierarchy. He's before Agrippa, Festus, Felix, and he's, he, he's, he's recounting his conversion. So in other words, what's he doing? He's witnessing. He says, but rise and stand upon your feet. He's, he's rehashing what's happened to him in that encounter with Jesus Christ. And he said, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. To make you a minister and a witness. Both of these things which thou hast seen. And of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. Paul said, I'm a witness of Jesus Christ. I want to testify of my personal encounter with the Lord. My salvation experience. So is it not one of the primary goals of every Christian to spread the gospel everywhere we go? Y'all talk, holler back to me, Harvest Church. That's one of our 
primary goals as a Christian. So now we look at the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. This is Jesus speaking again to whom? The world know His disciples. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. In the original Greek, there's only one direct command that is given from these two verses. You say, but wait a minute, preacher, I, I, I saw some other stuff. No. In the original Greek, only one direct command. It's not go. It's not baptize. It's not teach. Those are indirect because those are the means by which we make disciples, correct? So what is the only direct command in the Great Commission? You know what it is? Make disciples. Make disciples. Friends, this is what Jesus expects in his absence. Stand with me all over this building. Come on, stand with me all over the building. This is what Jesus expects us to do in his absence. Pastor, what is that? Train followers. Train followers. Make disciples. For a disciple is one who imitates Jesus' example. A disciple is one who clings to Jesus' sacrifice. A follower is one who believes in Jesus' resurrection. He possesses the Holy Spirit and lives to do God's work. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We ask at the very onset of this service who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And even with hesitancy, we raised our hands to say that we're followers of Christ. The altar of the Lord is open today. And I want the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus himself, I want us to give us careful thought and consideration to those things deposited in our spirit today. Could we do that? Could we do that here for just a moment? And, and, and ask ourselves, Lord, am I fulfilling? Am I fulfilling the characteristics of a disciple of Jesus Christ? Am I a worshiper, a servant, and a witness? Lord, if I'm not, I need you, God. Lord, to come see about me. I need you today, Heavenly Father. Lord, to deposit the mind of Christ within me as your servant, your child. I want to be a better witness. I want to be a worshiper. Lord, with everything that's within me, I want to devote my life to service for Jesus Christ. For discipleship requires a totally committed life, a life where sacrifice is expected.
there's any person under my voice today who would love to come, the altar of God is open. And I'd love to pray with you if you want to come. I'd love to pray with you. Again, this is a charge that Christ himself has given us to make disciples. Make disciples. There's only way, one way we can do that. We can incorporate, go, baptize, teach. Those are the actions by which we fulfill that great commission. Can I pray with you today? If there's one unsaved person under my voice, it's not for the sake of embarrassment. I want to form a visual of you in my mind so that I can pray for you. Is there one unsaved person under my voice who would lift their hand today and say, Pastor, remember me. God bless this hand. God bless this hand. Would there be another today in the household of faith? Thank you for your honesty. It took courage. It took courage for you to raise your hand and confess that truth. I want to pray with you right now and the body of believers. Father God, Lord, it's with humble hearts we approach your throne. A throne that before the sacrifice of Jesus was unaccessible by us. You are so holy. We thank you that the blood sacrifice of Jesus has washed away all our sins. And has declared us righteous in your sight. And now today, Father, we pray for these who have outstretched hands. As a token symbol of their status, they're lost without you. It's my prayer, oh God, that something, Lord, today would have been said or done that would encourage them to seek you while you may be found, to call upon you while you are near. And God, I pray for the corporate body of believers who have assembled this morning at Harvest Church. I pray their strength in you, the Lord, their God. And I pray for their purpose and destiny, Father God, to come to light, to be revealed more now in this darkened world than ever before. And that we, the body of Christ, disciples of Jesus, would make disciples of others. Grant us this, Lord God, is our prayer today. Lord, grant us success in our every endeavor to serve and to please you. Protect us from the evil and wiles of the enemy. And Lord, give us a heart for service. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask. God's church said amen.